The Long Box Crusade presents... Action Film Face-Off. This episode, it's 2013 versus 2008. Two films enter. One film leaves. Two men enter. One man 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 leaves. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, then go out and get what you're worth. But you gotta be willing to take the hit. Welcome, welcome back to Action Film Face Off, the show where two random years are selected. My brother will bring an action film from one of the random years. I will bring an action film from the other random year. Then those two films will do battle using a variety of criteria, and a champion will be crowned by the end of the episode. I'm Jared Albrick. Some know me as the Death Probe. My co-host is my brother, Jason the Weasel Skull Albrick. We are both military combat vets who take our action seriously, but not too seriously. So let's have some fun. And before I pass it to Jason, here's an update news alert for everybody. This is an action film face-off blind fire episode. And I think we should do some of these more in the future. Both of the films today, Jason and I picked them blind. Neither one of us has seen either one of these films. Let's see how the Blind Fire episode turns out. Jason. Yes, indeed. And before we proceed, I got to say I apologize for my choice. Having said that, (laughs) we're going to score each of today's films on a scale of one to ten in five categories. What are those categories, you ask? You should know by now. If not, just ask Laurel Mountainflower. She's our admin assistant here. She'll square you away. (laughs) I'm kidding. The categories are story, overall spectacle, best action scene, the hero, and the villain still not in that order. And then we will have a deduction round where up to 10 points can be subtracted from the film's total for whatever we determine is the low point of the movie. Thank you, Jason. And here on episode 31, for the second time, we had so much fun with Delvin last episode, we decided to bring in another sniper. As we go through our rounds, the sniper will be scoring along with us, but the sniper will have just one point to give in each round. So the sniper can shift the scoring of today's episode by a total of five points. It's going to be very binary for the sniper. You know, when we get the story round, they got that one bullet. Did he like the story of Movie A or movie B? And I have a funny feeling I know where almost all the sniper rounds are going to go in this one. But let me introduce our sniper. He is a Crusaders Club member, an Auburn sports enthusiast with an accent on the equestrian events, I would say. His name is Auburn Elvis. Welcome to the show, Auburn Elvis. I just want to say to the listeners, one of these movies is terrible. (laughs) Well... Which one do I wonder? <laughs> I wonder which one it could Terrible be. is such a strong and mildly accurate word. Uh, <laughs> um, let's learn a little something about our sniper here. Welcome to Action Film Face-Off. He is Auburn Elvis. He is Auburn sports royalty because he is the king. He can be found at Auburn Elvis on the social medias. And Auburn Elvis, to give our listening audience a flavor of what kind of an action film buff you are, can you give us three of some of your top favorite action films? I know that's broad and, and it can be hard to do, but just kind of three off the top of your head that you really like. I like Ronin. 
Uh, I think that's oh. a great action film. Just lots of different parts, both hand to hand shooting and uh, also driving. Good yeah. car chases in that. Um, almost any Guy Ritchie film. I really love those. I mean, I just think those are great. You know, good mm-hmm. character development with those. So I'll just basically say that whole his whole <laughs> repertoire. <laughs> the Guy Ritchie catalog. I got exactly. You. And then uh, Taken. I really like the movie oh, Taken, yeah. which is also from 2008 and would have been a much better choice. But uh, I <laughs> it love was blind fire. It was blind <laughs> fire. I love the straightforwardness of Taken and just how, you know, there isn't some twist ending or anything like that. It's just a dude trying to get his daughter back point A to point B and he does it. And it's yes. just a wonderful action film. I love it. Uh, oh, yeah, definitely. I think everybody was quite taken. Taken. <laughs> Woo! Awesome. Well, unfortunately, that is not the two thousand no. we are going to be doing. Yeah. Would have been a good choice. <laughs> it's a blind fire episode, ladies and gentlemen. We went in blind. Okay, before our two films enter the video dome arena, which I think we're having spikes installed on this week, we are thrilled to kick off this episode with special shout-outs to our Crusaders Club members, much like Auburn Elvis here. <laughs> These are the fine folks who have joined our crusade. They get early access to special long box episodes. They get voting on show content. So much more. These are the folks reaping the benefits and giving some much appreciated support to the show. And Helica Wolf. Ow. Ow. Albert Elvis has not left the building. He's with us because it's Albert Elvis. Bill Beer. Blast it or stash it. Braxton Underwood. Clinton Robison. David Collins. You can call him Battle Wagon. Battle Wagon. Gerald Green. Greg Van Leuven every minute of it. Come on. Masterful Mark Hatherley. Jeremy L. Jim Jarman, Jim Jarman, Jim Jarman, Jim Jarman. I hope you like Jarman too. It's Jim Jarman. Joe Thomas. John Watson. John and Maggie. Jose Pollo. Joshua Strickland. Slacker. Slacker. Kathy Bright. Maxwell Traver. Michael Wagner. Miranda W. Paul Heeks. Oh, I forgot he doesn't like it when I do that. Well, I'm not redoing it. (laughs) (laughs) Too bad. (laughs) Rick from Jeff and Rick present. Rob Morgan. Ryan Daly. Samantha Maney. Sean Urbanski. Steve Crowning. Timmy. Tim Price, come on down. Toronto Cop. Rad Morin. If we missed anyone on our list, we apologize. Keep in mind, we record these episodes well in advance of release. So if you're recent edition, we'll add you soon. But no problem. You can send an email to contact at longboxcrusade.com. We'll straighten you out. You might be asking yourself, how do I become a Crusaders Club member? I'm going to ask Auburn Elvis because somehow he figured it out and I still have it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you follow the link uh, in in one of the social media thing, and it'll take you to Patreon, and then you pay them some amount of money that you feel comfortable with. Is it like a hundred dollars a month? Or? It's as, it's whatever you're comfortable with. So if you want to put your entire stimulus check into the Patreon, you do that. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Oh, give me that stimmy. Yeah, all right. He's right though. You go to Patreon.com/slash/LongBoxCrusade. It starts at as little as one dollar a month you get access to the amazing world of crusaders club come check it out one of the benefits is that we regularly put out advertisements if anybody wants to be on the show and that's how auburn Ellis got on today we put it on the patreon hey who wants to be on he was like pick me and we we're like sweet and then we showed him the movies and he was like ah <laughs> in fairness one of the movies was pretty good oh yeah 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 
Oh, and before we move on, I just want to give a shout out to Captain Entropy. He's not really on social medias or anything, but he sent us a really nice complimentary email about the show. It was a little lengthy. I, I won't read it here, but it was really nice. And, you know, he went into some of his thoughts on some of the movies that we've talked about. It was just really fun to have somebody like Captain Entropy out there engaged in the show. So I want to give him a shout out. Thanks for the send in, Captain. I, I would say his message was like it was really good at the beginning and then it kind of faded out at the end. <laughs> is that an entropy joke? It is. That's a okay. good entropy joke. Okay. <laughs> it started out orderly and then just throw or more. Well, let's get back to the combat and learn a bit about the film Gladiators about to battle for your pleasure. This episode, I was assigned the year of 2013, and I blind fire selected Oblivion, starring Tom Cruise. Seemed like a safe bet. Jason, what, what year did the randomizer select for you? Well, I blind fired as well. I put that barrel right up to my temple, and I got 2008. And I put it I can't even say it, man. <laughs> title I, sounds cool. I thought so. <laughs> <laughs> I put into our video dome arena, Alan Quartermain and the Temple of Skulls, starring Sean Cameron Michael. All right. The script specifically says we've got a fine matchup for this one, folks. So let me give that as good of a read as I can. We've got a fine matchup for this one, folks. <laughs> so it's important to point out that this isn't Jared versus Jason. We each had to select from our assigned year. So I might very well like his selection better than mine. No. Or vice versa. This is all about us discovering some beloved action films and coming to a consensus on which one is going to be this episode's champion. And in a quick round the room on where we saw these films, I saw Alan Quartermain was free on Amazon Prime and Oblivion I had on my own Plex server. Jason, how did you see these films? I saw both of them on Amazon Prime. Uh, Alan Quartermain, as you said, was free. I don't know how they could have... Matter of fact, they should have paid me to watch that. <laughs> Think about it. Oblivion, I did pay the small rental fee on Amazon Prime and watched it there as well. Okay, Albert Ellis? I saw the Alan Quartermain picture on Voodoo, so I watched it with commercials and stuff, so... Mm. I got to see something of good production value. The, the commercials. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, Oblivion, I had to hunt around, and finally I just watched it on some pirated Russian streaming site. Arr. So I'm constantly closing windows that are popping up. <laughs> yeah. You know, trying to lower your mortgage, enhance exactly. your mail size, and all that stuff. Yes. <laughs> Got two brides coming in the mail. <laughs> two brides, some blue pills, and his mortgage rate's going down. Yes. <laughs> Well worth the episode. Yeah, that's pretty good. It's <laughs> not a bad deal. <laughs> okay, folks, so this is your spoiler warning. If you haven't seen Oblivion, you should go do that now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll wait in real time. Yeah, we'll wait in real time. I mean, you could also see Alan Quartermain and the Temple of Skulls if you want to. We're going to spoil the heck out of them. So if you want to do that, pause here and come back after this musical break. All right, folks, let me jump in with some quick info on 2013's Oblivion. The last Super Bowl was played right here. Jason, tell me it was a classic. Classic game. 80,000 people on their feet. Seconds left on the clock. So Hubie throws a Hail Mary. Touchdown! 
166, back online. 60 years ago, Earth was attacked. We won the war, but they destroyed half the planet. Everyone's been evacuated. Nothing human remains. We're here for drone repair with a mop-up crew. This is Jack Harper. I'm good to go. Two more weeks, Jack, and we can finally leave and join the others. Don't take any chances. Casting crew includes the following. It stars Tom Cruise, Morgan Freeman, and Olga Kurylenko. It is directed by Joseph Kaczynski. The synopsis is as follows. It's 2077. Jack and Victoria work on a remote outpost on a battered post-war Earth. Although Earth won its war against the alien invaders, the planet is now barely habitable, which is why most humans now reside on Titan. There are still packs of aliens roaming Earth and causing problems. Jack and Victoria maintain and defend the drones that protect the larger machines that convert seawater to energy for the Titan settlement. That's all the pertinent information. Or is it? Hmm. All right. Here's your interesting trivia. And this first one I like because I did not notice it. I had to go back and look. The opening scene where the Universal logo appears offers the viewer a quick survey of how damaged the Earth is in the film. The Tet is in orbit, as is the orbital escape module from the Odyssey. The oceans have receded and land masses have craters the size of entire countries and there are no polar ice caps and even the universal word appears worn and damaged. Cool little. That is cool. That was cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, when I was doing my trivia research, I was like, what? Because, <laughs> you know, I just mailed it in on that logo. I just assumed it was the usual. <laughs> yeah. I, I had to go back and look too, to be honest, when I read your script. Pretty cool. Okay, this next one, director Joseph Kaczynski was not impressed with the blue screen mats in the movie Tron Legacy that it came out in 2010. He really wanted to avoid that. So they wanted to use real glass mirrors and shiny surfaces for that tower set that they went to quite a lot. And what they did was they actually had sky footage projected on 500 foot by 45 foot screens 
consisting of 21 monitors. And it was filmed for three weeks at the summit of, I'm going to try this one, Haleakala Volcano in Maui. So basically, instead of using a lot of green screen or blue screen, they use actual monitors producing footage to give it a unique look. Because a lot of Hollywood stuff was going blue screen and green screen at the time. And that was kind of neat. And it ended up being so cool looking that Tom Cruise actually declared that the Glass Tower was one of his favorite film sets he'd ever been on. That's Mm -hmm. pretty cool. He's been on a lot. He's been on one or two. Been on one or two. Yeah. Yeah, I read up on that, that apparently there were a lot of technical advantages to doing it that way once they got it all built. Because if you do a traditional blue or green screen, whenever you have glass, you have to go back and add that in digitally or clean up, do a lot of cleanup. But the way they did it, they didn't have to do that. And of course, that whole place was made of glass. So, yeah. Yes. Yes. Much like the Billy Joel album of the 80s. That's glass house. <laughs> that was a deep cut too. <laughs> All of our jokes are just way. It's a blind fire episode. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, finally, there were 10 days of location shooting in Iceland where the daylight lasted virtually 24 hours. Joseph Kaczynski wanted to make a film that was very much based in daylight, considering that a lot of classic sci-fi movies like Alien and Blade Runner were shot near darkness. So that gave him a very unique you know, look, a bright and shiny look at the future. Uh, and I thought that was cool. What a, what a good way to go. You know, a little something different. Very cool. All right. Well, I guess it's my turn. <laughs> so now I'm going to give you the rundown on 2008's Alan Quartermain and the Temple of Skulls. We need your services and I will pay you handsomely. That's the map Neville was talking about. I'm not giving you the map. And you'll all die. and crew included Sean Cameron Michael, Christopher Adamson, and Natalie Stone. It was directed by Mark Atkins. And the synopsis goes a little something like this. South African hunter and adventurer Alan Quartermain needs money. Turns out college was just as expensive in the 19th century as it is today, and his son's college tuition is due. With his wife deceased, Alan decides to sell his half of a treasure map to wannabe Hitler, Annesley Hartford. When the deal goes bad, however, he joins forces with beautiful Lady Anna Harrisford and brave but naive Sir Henry Curtis, who have the other half of the map and are looking for a lost friend who is in pursuit of the treasure. With the evil Hartford in pursuit from behind and dangerous tribes and traps ahead, the unlikely trio join forces in one last desperate quest. That sounded good. 
Sounds like a good movie. I, I feel like I'm really <laughs> up this Well, and there was some interesting trivia here. In an art imitating life moment, the cast and crew found a real buried treasure while on scene in South Africa. Oh, that's cool. That was really cool. Ironically, Christopher Adamson, who played Annesley Hartford, entered politics in 2012 and ran for mayor of the South African town of Gitana. Did he win? <laughs> well, that brings us into my third trivia bullet, because there are so few interesting trivia tidbits about this film that I made those trivia nuggets up. Ah! I bought it. I bought it. Hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> very good. Very good. Uh, I read the script ahead of time. <laughs> I was buying that. I was so buying it. You duped me. I went full Samson. I've been duped. <laughs> ah, there was a couple interesting little tidbits uh, in all seriousness. This one was released in anticipation of Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Uh, it was one of those movies I was trying to kind of bank on the success of that film. Well, that's uh, what the 80s ones did. You know, Richard Chamberlain. They, yep. They tried that's to bank true. on Indiana Jones back then. And they did, they did pretty well, especially by comparison. Yeah, boy. <laughs> anyway, we're not. It's, I gotta let you get through this. <laughs> and this is a very loose adaptation of the 1885 novel King Solomon's Mines by H. Ryder Haggard. It was one of the very first English adventure novels set in Africa, and it's considered to be the genesis of uh, lost world uh, literary genre. So, yeah, that's about it. I'll let the rest go. I like the ones I made up better. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and now that we have the basics on today's contestants. Ladies and gentlemen. Test your might. Uh, let's get ready to rumble. It's a street fight. It's a street fight. All right. It's time for the Video Dome Arena. <laughs> let's do this. First, before we get started, let me remind you of Match Game. We have two films, five categories, ten possible matches between Jason and I's scores. I haven't seen his scores. He hasn't seen mine. So place your guesses. How many out of ten are we going to match on this episode? Let's find out together. And now let's hit our score barometer, just so you can understand where we're at in the scoring. A five on our show means it's... Okay, it's average. It did what it needed to do. It's the kind of thing you'd see on a pretty decent made-for-TV movie. You know, that's where you're sitting when you're at fives. You go six, seven, eight, nine, ten. That's pretty awesome. And four, three, two, one. Yeah, we're, uh, we're, we're down there. So, with that in mind, let's get in round one. Let the mayhem begin. Round one is the story. How engaging or original is your story? I'm going to find out from both of you. I will start with Jason. Thoughts on the story of Oblivion 2013? I thought the story was pretty cool. It opened up with an interesting concept. It introduced the characters there in a very unique environment. You see the Earth totally devastated, so that really tells you a lot right there. And then as the story progresses, there's a lot of twists and turns, and you realize a lot of the assumptions that you made or were told up front aren't exactly true. So it's one that really keeps you engaged throughout the film. And I thought it was quite clever in a lot of places and really well done. Excellent. Albert Elvis, thoughts on the story of Oblivion 2013? Uh, I'll echo that. I think it, it really grabs you from the beginning. You know, it's pretty well put together. I will say that in this movie, being a drone technician is the coolest job on Earth. I know, like, right? That, that is a job that really exists now. And in the future, it has just gotten better. Because he, like... <laughs> 
gets to fly a, ro- a rocket helicopter. He gets to shoot guns. He has a dirt bike. He gets issued an attractive redhead to live with him in a glass tree house. I mean, he is just <laughs> like the U.S. government, those websites that, you know, you go in and punch in your interests and it tells you what jobs you should be good. They should just roll this movie as an ad for being a drone technician, because let me tell you, that is the greatest job on earth. And like her job as a communication tech is like the second greatest job on earth because she's like issued Tom Cruise and you know, and she gets to sit at a, a very nice screen and have coffee and do all this monitoring of everything. And again, you know, that's a pretty cool job too. So yeah, I really like that. Uh, hopefully this will get a lot of kids going into STEM because boy, let me tell you, this is fun and exciting. As far as just, the story and the plot and where it goes, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm on board with it. You know, I buy most of it. There were a few things here and there that I think you could pick at and say, okay, that's not real realistic or that probably wouldn't go that way. But overall, it does have a nice story. And then that big, you know, the reveal at the near the end of what's really going on is a nice one that you can then look back and say, oh, there were clues all along, but now it all came together. So good, solid story. I liked it. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. The only thing I'll add is a bit of trivia that I did not put my trivia nuggets. Kaczynski actually wrote this as a comic book. He made it as a graphic novel and it was never picked up for publishing. And so he's like, oh, you know what? I'll make a billion dollar movie out of it. Was it it called Oblivion when he wrote it? Good question. I'm not sure. I think so, but I'm guessing. I I don't know. that's, That's like one thing I did not like about this. I thought the title was just too generic and didn't really have anything specifically to do with the plot it just seemed like a spacey title that wasn't taken yet yeah that's a fair point that is a fair point whereas with the other film you really know what you're getting into (laughs) (laughs) supposedly (laughs) it gives you high hopes because exactly you know what speaking of the other film let's talk about the story of alan quartermain the temple of skulls 2008 and this time i'll start with auburn elvis what do you got man i know you're itching just itching to talk about it This story was so bland and so horrible and just so blah. I was so disappointed in this that I actually went and I got the audiobook of the book that it's based on just so I could read it and see how many changes did they make so I can just I I just couldn't accept that the book could be this boring. Because a book that, you know, launched a genre, you're like, okay, this thing had to be interesting. And the book was interesting. It was a really (laughs) good book. It was nothing like this movie. And so they made lots of changes, some of which I have no idea why they did. A lot of them were for budget. But again, I'm just like, why would you do that? That was so dumb. And yeah, so I was not pleased with the story on this. I think it had problems all throughout it. The ending did not resolve well. It was just, it was, it was almost a complete waste of time. Before Jason even gets to jump in, I will echo it. I, I think it commits the biggest movie sin we might could have on action film face off and that it was not interesting. I faded on it several times into my phone and stuff like that. So anyway, Jason, find something good to say and then join our destroying uh, this movie party over here. Oh, so now it's pop culture positive. Yeah, I need you to help me on this. <laughs> now, actually, there are a few things I can talk about as we get into scoring that I that I actually did like here and there. But go ahead. Now, there were a couple things that I guess there was some redeeming value here. The bones of the story were there. The opening of the story, the very first scene where you have the two 
the older guys that were out there treasure hunting or whatever mm-hmm. they were doing. That was kind of cool. And I was like, hmm, mm-hmm. this is interesting. And there was a lot of tension there. And I, and I know you had watched this film before me and we're not really happy about it. But I was like, oh, this is kind of good. No, I yeah, I w- I'm with you on that opening scene. I was engaged. So, uh, and then um, the rest <laughs> of the movie happened. <laughs> right about the time the CGI horse jumped the CGI cast. <laughs> you know how they say, like, it jumped the shark? This one jumped the horse. or yes. That's I could even have forgotten. I could have even forgiven that. Really. I could have too, because I know they got a budget. But like that really did mark the point where I just my interest started going just down and down and down. Oh, well, right. the yeah, plot itself know. was good. I mean, the plot itself was uh, solid. It's just the execution was so bad, and there yeah. were just the direction was bad, the acting was bad. It was just bad. It was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was low budget and it felt low budget. It wasn't mm-hmm. like some of the other movies y'all have done on the show where, you know, like the uh, Mad Max episode. I listened to that recently where, mm-hmm. you know, that's low budget, but you could mm-hmm. tell they were creative. The low budget forced them to be better and to be more creative. This movie did not. Yeah, it, it had problems and it suffered and they never overcame the problems of making the movie. I don't know where else to put this in, but I did. I think I texted Jason. I said something like at the 11 minute mark, there's a boom mic that comes into the shot. <laughs> right. And I'm like, that's low budget movies. That'll happen. You'll pot, you'll spot a boom mic, even in a good movie from time to time, you'll mm-hmm. spot a boom mic, but there was no dialogue in that scene. I'm like, you could have just cut that out. Throughout this movie, they had problems where they didn't say anything. And they weren't really doing anything on screen either. So when you combine not saying anything with not doing anything, it really becomes boring. Yeah, like I even yeah. like the ending, the ending, you know, when the everything is collapsing in the earthquake, I timed this because I went, I was so angry at this. I went and timed it. <laughs> the last three and a half minutes of the movie, no one speaks. No one speaks. They are running away from the earthquake in the cave. They then get out. They go back to the village and they see, you know, what has happened with Umbopa. No one says a word of any of that. And you're just like, really? This is it. <laughs> Nobody could come up with dialogue. It just is so boring. It's very boring. And I'm angry about it. <laughs> angry Elvis. Well, I'm, okay. because I'm a creative person. And so when I watch a movie like this, all I'm doing is thinking I would have done that differently. I would have done that better. I would have done that, you know, over there. And it just is like, oh, there's so many missed opportunities. And I'm sure you guys are the same wrong. way. Y'all are creative too. Yeah, like, you're not wrong. I, I mean, really, I'm thinking with the collective money the three of us have in our wallets right now, I think we could do a better job making a movie than that movie. <laughs> it's Definitely a possibility. And I think I have a parking ticket in my wallet right now. So deduct <laughs> that. And I still feel like we could make a better movie. Yeah, I got to say, I've seen the Alan Quartermain movie from the 30s. I've seen the one from the 50s. I've seen both the ones from the 80s. All better. I'm just going to hit my low point. Was the train uh, truck chase? You <laughs> would call it that. Like I'm scratching my head. It's like never the train's going like five miles an hour. Yes. Like I could I could walk faster than that train was, was rolling. <laughs> yes. And then the heroes jump off the train at one point, <laughs> land and roll, 
And he's like, I, I guess I got away. I'm like, dude, you got a truck. You got a truck. They're walking. They're walking right there. Just flat. Down. He would have seen them. How is this? I don't get it. All right. All right. I've called a moratorium on the story round. We'll, okay. we'll, we'll keep going. Keep Let's moving. go Play ahead and score. Let's go ahead and score them. Jason and I will do our one to tens like we normally do, and then we'll bring in the sniper, and I'm very certain I know which way his bolt's going to shoot, but we'll, we'll give him his opportunity to do that. Jason, Oblivion, one to ten on the story you got. I got a seven. Not a perfect story. I had some holes in it, but well above average and entertaining, so seven for me. Well, your brother Jared likes shiny things, so I gave it a nine. I really, <laughs> <laughs> really like the story. I gave it a strong nine, and I really liked it be- mainly because when I started the movie and they kind of gave the layout, I think we all knew something this is not true so mm-hmm. i'm sitting there just like where, where are the chips where are the where are the cracks in this story and how are we going to find out so it's, it's super engaging to me and then as they start to reveal i'm like oh 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 and it just i just had a great experience so i maybe i watched it right after uh alan well, see, I, I did i watched it after alan Gorderman. but i think the problem with me is I, i'd seen this one before uh, oh, so, so this was not a blind fire for you. No, this just one for was, me. Okay, just for you. Yeah, mine was the Alan Quartermain was a blind fire, but this one I'd seen before. But it was one of those that I watched and I was kind of doing other stuff, you know. So, oh. I, so I knew enough about it going in. Uh, oh, I, I can see where the experience of, would be different. I yes, can see, yeah, I got so you. I, I was like, okay, I was, I was a little more jaded eye with it this time. That makes. Perfect sense. Okay, well, let's do Alan Quatermain and the Temple of Skulls. On the story, I'm going to be interested in our scores here, Jason, as our sniper loads up his bullet to get ready to take a shot. Jason, strictly speaking on the story, what'd you give it? I gave it a six. Oh, we're closer than one might think. We did not match, mm-hmm. but I gave it a five because I thought it was the bones of the story, the Alan Quatermain story. <laughs> bones of it the bones of the story yep yep the rest of it was there will be there will be some suffering in later rounds because of the execution but here's a spoiler for you folks this five i just dropped is going to be the biggest number i'm going to drop the rest of no i i I was wrestling with uh, i gave it to each writer haggard bump i had a five down originally but since it was h writer haggard i was like i'll throw a six i mean i can't not give the man a six. I, I mean, it is Alan Quartermain. Six with an apology. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Oh, all right. So we are at nine and seven, five and six, and uh, Oblivion's out to an early lead. <laughs> so, Oliver and Elvis, let's ask this question. People are on pens and needles. You've got one point to give. Mm-hmm. Which movie story did you like better, Oblivion or Alan Quatermain? All right. So I'm the sniper. So when do I get to assassinate someone who was in the production of the Alan Gordon <laughs> movie? <laughs> no, That's that, the part I'm waiting for. No, well, I'm sorry. We 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 uh we did not sell you your position properly. <laughs> oh man. Cuz you know people have been executed for far less crimes. <laughs> we talked about the name of Oblivion and how it was kind of a low point. When we look at Alan Quartermain, really we are struggling here to think about what are some positives of this movie? <laughs> And one of the positives, or apparently positive, was the name. Because, you know, with that name, Alan Quartermain and the Temple of Skulls, you pretty mm-hmm. much know what kind of movie you're getting. Now, Jared, I sent that link in chat. Can you click on that and pull up? I have many exhibits. We won't go through all of them. But can you pull up exhibit A-24? Pulling it up on my iPad now. You have literally 
I have a lot of exhibits. Oh my in that. gosh, there's like 40 things in here. I was very angry when I watched this movie. Clearly. Okay, so A-24. Uh, A-24. Would you like me to describe what I see? Yes, I can do do that. that. Describe to the listening audience what you're okay, looking we at. Okay, are, we are in a cave. Yes. And there is 32 skulls circled, and you've you've circled them all in yellow, laying around this cave, and you've written the number 32. Yes. That is the totality of skulls in this movie. <laughs> in that one shot. <laughs> yes. And so if you're going to name a temple, the temple of skulls, <laughs> you're going to have to have at least three dozen. I mean, that's not even three dozen. And that's it. And I went through and circled them. I was so angry. <laughs> That is not a temple of skulls. That is a shopping cart of skulls. Uh, this movie should skulls. have been called Alan Quartermain and the Shopping Cart of Skulls. <laughs> then it would have gotten a higher score for me on title, at least. Okay. But wow. it wasn't. So I'm going to use my sniper ability, and I'm going to remove a point from Alan Quartermain, <laughs> the story score. But it doesn't I, even live up to the I, one thing I, it needs to live up to. I, I can't break the rules and use a sniper to remove a point, but I will give your bonus point to Oblivion. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, wait, I should be able to remove points. I want to take points You're away blow from a movie. Point. You're blowing a point off of... <laughs> Alan Quarterman. Well, all right. I guess the relative distance has increased. (laughs) That's really what I want. But yeah. uh, yeah. Look at it that way. I like your evidence folder, by the way. That's. Oh, I know. I went through. Yeah. Like, uh, oh, man. Okay. When we're trying to come up with other ways that this movie is actually good, like the scenery. I mean, the scenery is not bad. Now, it's not as good as Oblivion, but it is good. I mean, they actually went on location to South Africa. And some of the shots there are picturesque. And you can look through yeah. the folder and you can see. But if you watch the movie, if you were awake for those parts, we, you remember we, what I'm talking about. I guarantee you we we're going to talk about that in Spectacle Round. Okay, yeah. that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> With all that, that's going to be into round one. We're going to move into round two. I'm going to kill them all, sir. All right, round two is my round here. And we're going to talk about the hero. We're going to talk about Jack in Oblivion. And we'll talk about Alan, Alan Quartermain. And Jared, we'll start with you. How cool was the hero? What are you thinking for Oblivion? Well, it's Tom Cruise doing Tom Cruisey things. So it starts off rather well. His character was fun to watch as he did his job as the coolest job in the world. And then it was fun to watch him discover what was real and what wasn't real and then discover how it became that way. So just taking the journey with Tom Cruise as only Tom Cruise can do in his dreamy and action-packed way, look for a good score from Jared. Nice. Auburn Elvis, what are your thoughts on Tom Cruise in Oblivion? In general, I think he was very capable. That's one of the things I really like in a character is, are they making smart choices? And, and frankly, you know, villain or hero, I think that's the question I always ask because you'll find a lot of villains in movies that people will just gravitate towards. They do horrible things, like the villain in uh, Inglorious Bastards. You know, he's a Nazi. He's terrible. But we kind of like him because he's so good at his job. And, you know, Tom Cruise does a great job. He's patching those drones up and he's going by protocol. But at the same time, he's also doing some things on the side. But it's because he has a legitimate motivation of, I think there's something more going on. And so I think we really appreciate just how he's approaching the world and the mysteries of it. There aren't a lot of things that we look at and can criticize how he acted. And I like that in Hero. That's a really good point. Yeah, I kind of felt the same way. It's a measure of coolness when Tom Cruise has a sexy redheaded girlfriend 
on the planet. And then the ultimate cool guy, he gets another hot woman just like from orbit. Just like she literally oh, falls out of the sky. Right? <laughs> He's like, man, there's two hot women left on Earth, and I and they're both like, oh, we, we love you, we both love you. Yeah, yeah. And then he realized, oh yeah, I'm Tom Cruise. I'm Tom Cruise. Yeah, I'm a cool hero. So. <laughs> nice. All right, let's keep the coolness rolling. I'll start with Alvin Elvis this time. What'd you think of uh, Alan Quarterman? The hero was a big disappointment. I've read the book, as I said, and in the book, he's 50-ish, or he's 55, I think, in the book, and he's at the end of his career, and so there's a lot of, he's seen a lot of things, and so there's a lot of times when people come up with ideas that he's very, in the book, very like, I don't think that's a good idea, or don't count me in on that, you know, that's that's not going to work. He's got a lot of experience in the book. I think they tried to bring that out in the movie. But it came out as this dude is just a jerk. He's just surly and doesn't want to do anything. And so, again, with better writing and a little bit better acting and a lot better directing, I think they would have translated who the character is better with this hero. Also, I didn't like his wardrobe. When he's reading the letter at the very beginning and he's got the map and he puts it into his pocket, for some reason, they zoom in on that pocket when he's putting the thing away. It's a Velcro closure on that pocket. And, okay, so that's an anachronism. Okay, that did not exist back then in the pre-World War II era. Plus, Alan Quartermain would have buttons, okay? He would not have a darn Velcro, you know, (laughs) flap on his shirt. I know, that was just like, oh, are you kidding me? Ridiculous. So, yeah, a lot of that in this movie. He just comes off as surly. And he doesn't talk very much. Not that anybody really does, because there's not a lot of dialogue. It's just you know, boring action. Not impressed with this hero. All right. Fair enough. Jared, any redeeming values? Anything you want to throw in there? I thought he had a good look. Aside from that, though, when I first saw him, I'm like, okay, he looks the part. And then I quickly turned the same corner that Auburn Elvis did. I'm like, okay, he's surly just to be surly. Like he's like almost John McClane surly without the dash of John McClane charm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just like Auburn Elvis said. I mean, I can't, help but compare him to probably the most famous Alan Quartermain, which would be Chamberlain. Sean and, Connery. Sean uh, Connery. Or possibly League Sean is, Connery. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm going to go with Chamberlain. And, and, he, and, and he was much like Auburn Elvis said, you know, he was he was worldly and he would say, that's that's not a good idea and all that yeah. stuff. And he, he knew what to do, but he was charming. And you wanted to be part of his group. I don't think any one of us would want to be part of this guy's group. No. Yeah. It's <laughs> so, just... He didn't really exude uh, competence or confidence. Yeah, no leadership. Yeah. It kind of looked like his eyes were like, he always looked like he was half sleeping through that thing. And I was like, are you awake, man? Do you? Elvin Williams (laughs) in the temple of the crystal skulls. (laughs) And like in the book, he's an expert at big game hunting. So when they prepare for the journey, he talks about, okay, we're going to need water and oxen and this, and we're going to get, you know, five rifles each, and they're all going to have the same caliber bullet so that we can swap. I mean, you know, he goes through it, the story, and you can tell, okay, this guy is good at preparing for expeditions. The guy we saw in the movie was like a bum that just happened to be in the in a bar when they came by. I mean, he really didn't seem like he had any specialties. And you're just like, why would they hook up with this dude? He's not anywhere near worth the whatever it was, 10,000 pounds or whatever they paid him. Not worth it at all. Yeah, agreed. All right, let's do the scoring here. 
Oblivion, Jared. How much are you giving Tom Cruise for Oblivion? Well, I'm kind of a sucker for Tom Cruise, and I like the character a lot. So I went with a solid eight. Eight out of ten. Well, I'd say that's our first match game. I agreed. I I thought that uh, Auburn Elvis hit it on the head. I liked all the choices he was making. I liked the complexities of the character. It was a very interesting character, and Tom Cruise played it very well. Let's move into Alec Quartermain. (laughs) How much damage, Jared? What are you doing? I'm going to give Alan Quatermain in this one a four. I think he's a little under a good TV movie version of Alan Quatermain. Well, that's our second match game because I gave it a four as well. I just, as I was like, what should I give it? And I remembered Sean. It's a four. It's a four. (laughs) (laughs) You got a four. That just leaves the sniper. Sniper in the grass. He's locked and loaded. Again, I would like to use my sniper powers to remove a point from Alan Quatermain. (laughs) We'll tell you that's what you're doing. <laughs> okay, good. Yes. You know, the math all absolutely. works out the same anyway. Yes, absolutely. Obviously, I'm going to widen the gap and give the point or take the point from Alan Quartermain, or I'm going to give it to Tom Cruise. About the only thing I didn't like about him was he's a terrible narrator of sports stories. If you remember the scene where he's in the stadium and he's yeah. like, oh, the last Super Bowl was right here. It was between... uh team and the quarterback <laughs> had the ball and he he uh threw it and the receiver caught it for a touchdown i mean you're just like no names anywhere you're just like no one would tell a story about the super bowl that way but but hold on a minute hold on because I, I i think this is a good time to ask this because this was a question that was bothering me the whole time and it should bother you too elvis because uh, he had that bobbing head Elvis on his dashboard. Remember that? Bob, yeah. And he called him Bob. And so yeah. I was wondering if maybe that's like his memories. He's got certain memories of the events, but the details, like he didn't remember Elvis's name. And maybe he couldn't remember. Oh, that. you know, we picked up on that, too, because Johanna was my wife. Johanna said, why does he call Elvis Bob? And I said, it's been what 70 years or something like that. I don't remember how many years, but a lot of years of, of oblivion, if uh-huh. you will. He may not know his name. He might not know who that is. That might just be a toy to him. Interesting. And when you figure out he was a clone of that guy, it's like he has snippets of these memories, I think. And I think that's why he called him Bob. He just didn't remember. Interesting. Like, okay. Well, you whether or not they in, intended that to happen, I like that theory. I like that fan theory. And that does sort of excuse is horrible retelling of that of that touchdown in the Super Bowl. This one guy, he threw a ball. The other oh, guy yeah. caught the ball. He calls him the quarterback and the receiver. It does not use the name. Fair enough. We know prize it pretty Yeah, good. I'm getting my no prize. I'm taking yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I guess that ends uh, my section here. I'll pass it to Jared here for round three. I'll be back. Round three is the villain. How cool is your villain? How memorable is your villain? That's one of our favorite ways to think of it here at Action Film Face Off. Auburn Elvis, talk to me about the villainy of Oblivion. It's a little nebulous. Yes. The villain is, yeah, is lack of memory. You know, he's fighting against the environment in a way. He's been told a lie. So some of the villain is just him going against what he's been instructed and just will he take that chance that uncertainty but the literal villain would be well actually then there's a fake villain the Mm -hmm. weird dirt people that are scurrying around 
you know, led by Morgan Freeman. And I want to say, I never caught his name, but I just want to pretend that it was the actual Morgan Freeman. Yeah, because why not? when the aliens attack, there are going to be some celebrities who survive. So who's <laughs> to say that Morgan Freeman did not actually survive? And then if he's in your colony of refugees, I could see him being elected the leader because we all like Morgan Freeman. That's I mean, true. he's a pretty cool dude. That's true. So, you don't meet a lot of people who are anti-Morgan Freeman. Right. I don't now, think I'm not exist. sure what was up with his bird fetish with those outfits and the feathers and all. That was a little <laughs> weird. But, you know, we all deal with the apocalypse in our own way. <laughs> so they were the fake villains. And I like how they brought that out. And then there were a few clues when, when he talked to them about, oh, well, you know, we're going to trust you this time and whatever. But then the real villain turned out to be the aliens you know, that were faking everything. So, yeah, I like the multi-layered thing because there was an, an overall danger when he started bucking the system. You know, they were sending drones after him to kill him and stuff. But I was okay that there wasn't as much of a tangible villain. I, I like that there was this omnipresent dread of, you know, if you disobey orders, bad things are going to happen, not just to you, but to the earth. And so I think it worked. I think it didn't need a black-hatted villain necessarily. No, interesting take. Jason, what do you think? Yeah, a lot of the same thoughts. I remember a quote from Abraham Lincoln. Uh, he said, and I'm paraphrasing here, the only way to truly defeat your en enemy is to make him your friend. And of course, Abraham Lincoln meant like make friends out of your enemies. But this is kind of what the enemy in this movie did. It, it's so insidious, like mm -hmm. convinced the people that they conquered that they had won. The enemy is you, but you don't realize it. You know, I thought this is really, really clever. I thought it was very interesting. So it's kind of hard to score for me on this one. Very unique, though. Unique take. Yeah, I had a hard time scoring on this one as well. Well, and we'll come back to that. Let's let's shift gears to the villain of Baron von Frankendolf Hitler guy. I don't remember his real name. Oh, Annesley Hartford or whatever yeah, that I, I call him the White Grinch because I, he looks like the Grinch, not Jim Carrey, but like from the cartoon. If you replace the green with just white, <laughs> that is what he is. He's I, I, the Grinch. I, I have a question for Auburn Elvis since you did the audiobook. It was Annesley Hartford in the book. No. Okay, not at all. so I don't think it's a coincidence he has the same initials as Adolf Hitler, by the way. <laughs> I think there's a... Anyway, it's not my round. Jason, you are first on this round. What did you think of Annesley Hartford? Okay. I think out of all the characters <laughs> in this movie, his was the best. He, I'd say most memorable just because he's a funky-looking guy. He was a funky-looking guy. Yeah, he was very memorable. He looked evil. He was probably the best of the actors, in my opinion. As far as high marks for acting is concerned, he's probably going to do a little bit better than the hero in this round. And I'll leave it at that. Elvis. Well, <laughs> the guy is an actor. He's been in lots of stuff. I looked him up. He's memorable. Originally, I was having serious problems because he's a huge overactor in that part, in this part. I don't know if he's an overactor in the other stuff he's done. But in this, he was really going for it. It was almost like pantomime. And so what I had to do to sort of reconcile and stay focused into the movie is I had to imagine that this guy probably has brain damage 
and that's just how he thinks people should act. And so then he's actually a little sympathetic because I'm like, okay, he's got mental problems. <laughs> that's why he is like that. So once I imagined that, then he became a lot more palatable. But uh, you're right. He's got a personality. He's the only one who does in this whole movie. So I guess by process of elimination, he's the best. And I'm doing air quotes, listeners. <laughs> I, I, he's not the best, but he's the best relative to the other people. Hey, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king, you know? Exactly. Yes. Well, and this guy, his schemes were really weird. Why did he get to walk into the tribe and not get captured? Why did they listen to him? I didn't understand that. Well, let's go back even further. I didn't understand why this guy was after him to be like, why did they make an enemy out of this guy at the jump? Because basically he was going to buy the half of the map from Quartermain. Quartermain's all like, give, give me the money. He's like, it's only half a map. I thought it was a whole map. No, I only got a half a map. Well, deal's off. All right. And that was it. They, they couldn't. I know. And then guns away. came out and it was like, run for your life. Well, the, the lady like hit him in the face with a water pitcher for some Yeah, she poured water over his head, and then he whipped a gun out fast. I even wrote a note that he was very fast at getting that up. So probably a little too fast. He, You know, the poor directing in that scene. But, yeah, and then his scheme for the train, I mean, it worked, but only because the director made it work. It wouldn't have really worked in real life. But anyway, yeah, it was just... It didn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. So I don't see how he could have been so charismatic as to get the tribal people on his side and against the heroes that didn't make a lot of sense also when they actually get into the shopping cart of skulls he's still using the map in there but the map was like how to get there the map doesn't help when he's in there he's a horrible fighter when he's swinging the rifle and just yeah (laughs) he's like a hundred years old and so yeah i don't know he needed to be in an assisted living facility because he obviously had mental problems so yeah that's my impression of the villain all right, there you go. Let's just score it. Let's just score it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. This poor guy. Jason, let's go back to Oblivion. It's a weird score because the villain is us, and the villain was, we thought it was Morgan Freeman and the bird people. What are they called? Scavengers or Scrags? And they, Scrags, they, they yeah. scuffle yeah. around. And I've seen them out yard sailing before, by the way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And then we found out it was the Tet facility, was the alien facility, a lot of layers. So what'd you end up on a one to 10 with? Well, I was down between a six or a seven. I looked it up and it wasn't Julianne Moore who played uh, Sally. So uh, I'm going to go with a six. (laughs) (laughs) I understand. Well, Jason, match game number three, because I also scored it a six. Let's go to Alan Quatermain. I feel like you're going to give this guy a five because you gave Alan a four and you said you like this guy better. Did I peg it? You know, know me so well. Yeah, <laughs> I, gave, I liked him just a little bit better than Alan. So he gets five. I gave him the four still. I thought, you know, again, not quite as good as what you'd see on a good made for TV movie. But yeah, I maybe, maybe just enough. I respect your five. Maybe just enough to make a made for TV. That's movie. okay. I have a feeling Auburn Elvis is going to blast that five. <laughs> Yes. Right over on All right, load it up, Albert Elvis. Uh, take a shot. Oh, that I only have one point <laughs> to sway these in. I'm obviously going to remove a point from Alan Quartermain and or add a point to Olivia. <laughs> However you want to um, look at it, it's fine. About the only 
thing that I could say about the villain and Oblivion would be, okay, so you remember the scene at the end where Tom Cruise has decided he's going to pilot the spacecraft inside of the space mm-hmm. pyramid mm-hmm. to go blow them up. Now, imagine you're Tom Cruise. How furious would you be if once you got inside the pyramid, and remember this whole movie, every day he's been fixing these drones with spare parts, and he's been begging for parts from the people. And they keep saying, oh, well, we don't have enough drones, honey, to send you for the, for the thing. And when he gets inside the space pyramid... There are thousands upon thousands of brand new drones just sitting in the alcoves as he's passing them. And I'm telling you, just been asking for one. If he is, if he ever had any doubt about blowing them up, it was erased in that moment. He dropped the f bomb at that moment, and I I I think that's why. I I know. I would have been in danger of ruining the plan. I would have been so furious, Uh, Sally. Um, I seem to be passing a whole bunch of drones in here. Now, why is it you never gave us the spare parts we asked for? Are we an effective team, Sally? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Flip it on her. All so, right. yeah, I would, I'm going to give the point to Oblivion because that just solidified how evil those aliens were. They had those drones, could have given him parts any day, and they never did it. Yeah, that's true evil is bureaucracy. That is the true evil of that movie. Well, there you have it, folks. True evil. That's the villainous round. And now we're off to round four. What do we do? We die. All right. Well, that's me. That's the overall spectacle. I have a feeling we're going to have some things to say about at least one of these films. (laughs) But how visually engaging is the film overall? We're talking stunts, effects, cinematography, wardrobe, soundtrack musical scoring, all that good stuff. So we'll start with Jared this time. What do you think about the overall spectacle for Oblivion? Oblivion's a spectacle movie. I mean, it centers around spectacle and the dreaminess. I don't know if I've used that word yet for Tom Cruise. (laughs) It is a spectacle film. It is pulled off with beautiful believability, and I loved it. High score coming. All right. Fair enough. Auburn Elvis, what are your thoughts? Oblivion, it, yeah, it was made for spectacle. I didn't realize it was made by the same guy who did Tron, the second Tron movie. But, you know, there was a time period in movies where they shifted all the blues and all the oranges. And this is a movie, Oblivion, where that is most of the movie is blue, but then there are some where it is bright orange. And it's because, you know, visually humans, the eye picks out those colors really well and they're complementary and all that. So, This movie was either blue or orange, which, as an Auburn fan, I love that. Lots of spectacle. The scenery, you know, we did talk about how in the Alan Cornermain movie there were there was some good shots of scenery, but in this movie, because they have a huge budget and they can CG it, the scenery is just epic. I mean, the glass treehouse, you know, above the clouds is amazing, and you look at that and you think, I would love to live in that. And then you see the other version of it where it's out in the desert, which it's kind of out in the desert, but still you're like. I could totally live in this one. This is awesome. (laughs) And then he's got his own private naughty hut where he takes his women, you know, out in the woods. And that's cool. I'm like, I could definitely live there. So 18 miles to the love shack. Uh, You know, and he goes spelunking in the library and all. That's a cool scene and all that. And then the canyon shots and whatnot of flying. Yeah, just 
Yes, yes. Anybody who gives this a low score on the uh, the epicness is is just did not see this movie. <laughs> I would have to agree. Before you move on, Jason, I want to point out one thing that I thought was clever filmmaking, and I think I'm clever for noticing it. Uh, <laughs> if you notice at the beginning of the movie when Tom Cruise's character believes in everything, his uniform is stark white, bright mm-hmm. white. But as things get grayer, so does his outfit. Yeah, I did. It starts to get a little stuff. dirtier, a little grimier, a little grayer. And I thought, oh, he's 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 learning. He's in the gray area. And I thought I was clever for noticing that. Yeah, no, very. <laughs> you good are point. clever. See, yay. <laughs> yeah. Well, and when I was trying to compare these movies, one of the things I'm trying to do is, I mean, honestly, I hate the Alan Quarterpane picture, but I was trying to be honest and say what ways that it could be good. And I think one of the categories I thought about, well, it makes me feel better about my creative stuff that I work on when I see these guys failing. <laughs> that I feel better about the stuff I make and stuff I do. And so it's really cool for you to see in Oblivion how much better movie, but even that had some things that made you feel better because you saw them, you caught so, them, so and you were really right along with the writer. It's a shame Alan Quartermain did not get us there. <laughs> uh, in all seriousness, the one thing that I'll add before we move on is I think this is where Tom Cruise really brings heft into that because he's just such a physical actor that having his presence and his physicality blend in with those awesome effects makes for a a really beautiful picture. That's all I'll say about that. And then we'll move on and talk about Alan Quartermain. (laughs) We're all spectacle. We'll start with Auburn Elvis. Jared, you may want to get something to drink. Yeah, I'm going to go uh, retire my roof, actually. I'll be right back. (laughs) (laughs) With spectacle, there was a lot of potential here. If I give them a lot of benefit of the doubt, I can kind of see where they were trying. Obviously, the budget wasn't very much. The scenery is pretty much where this movie excels, if you could even say anything excelled in this movie. Because it was shot in South Africa, and so it was on location, and that is you know beautiful countryside, and so some of the shots were legitimately beautiful. And then somebody would move in front of the scenery and do something boring, and it would take you back into the movie. The costuming was horrible. It really looked like the actors showed up and the people were like, yeah, we don't have costumes. What have you guys got in your suitcases? <laughs> we're going to make you wear it. Yeah, uh, it looked like Henry had shopped at L.L. Bean. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know. I mean, in some of the exhibits I've got there, he's got a normal crew neck you know, shirt, undershirt, a modern shirt. There's a blow up in one of the exhibits where you can see the brand logo on his pocket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I noticed it. I noticed there's it. a shot of. Did you notice when Anna was in the bath and then the thugs come and they're shooting out the window and she won't get out of the bath? I noticed that. I was very disappointed. <laughs> well, <laughs> when she's asking for a towel, she's already got a towel underneath the bubbles and you can see it because when they zoom to her, you can see written in Sharpie the name of the owner of the towel. And it's blown up in one of the exhibits. And it's not her name. It's just whoever owned the house, and that was one of their towels. So that made it in. You know, they walk out into the hallway, and the red light on the motion sensor goes off because apparently they had motion sensors back before World War II. There are some scenes where you can see power lines in the background. The trails they're going down have tire ruts from modern-day Jeeps or tires or whatever. Yeah, the train has only got like two cars on it. It's a very short train. Just so many cuts and compromises that they had to make that 
you just wonder why did they even do that? Oh, the death scene that you guys like with Old West Higgins and homeless Teddy Roosevelt at the mm-hmm. very beginning. Mm-hmm. I know who you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, uh, that scene where the native throws the spear is reused footage from later on when the natives show up on their party hundreds of years later in the story. It's the exact same film footage of the native throwing a spear, the one that goes <laughs> into the tree. So, yeah, just stuff like that. Very, very poor effects overall. Although the locust, I like the locust effect. I actually bought that into that. It didn't make any difference in the story. It was like they blew some money on this and they didn't need to because they didn't explain why that was a terror at all. I mean, there are ways that they could have worked that in. Anyway, again, there weren't enough skulls for me. (laughs) It needed about a couple of hundred more skulls to warrant the movie title. Also, you didn't understand why they were fighting and, and all in the end, and then the earthquake comes up. Like, that place had been fine for hundreds and hundreds of years, and then suddenly when they come in, happens to be the day and the hour that the earthquake happens. I think it was the same philosophy as the locusts. Maybe. So, yeah, if there was a way to give this negative points in this category, I would totally give it negative points. All right. A simple wrong would have sufficed. (laughs) (laughs) A simple story would have sufficed in this movie. All right, Jared, give me something positive, man. Don't ask Auburn Elvis any more questions. (laughs) (laughs) Not on spectacle, anyway. You know what? Simple answer, then. Exactly what Auburn Elvis said, really. I was really taken out of it by the bad wardrobe, the kitty train. But just like he said, what did bring me into it was the wonderful scenery, the location scenery. I was like, wow, that's a really beautiful countryside. You know, and it was those moments where I'd start to get off the Twitter and back into the movie. And then, like you said, silly things would happen and then Twitter would come back up. Yeah, Yeah, 100%. Yeah, that's all I got to add. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I thought the cinematography was excellent in a couple places. The one thing we haven't talked about was the sound quality, especially when they were outside. I couldn't hear their dialogue sometimes, but I could hear like the crunching of their feet. Yes, I noticed that too. On that gravel road, that scene, the crunching of their feet was so loud. And yeah, it's one of those things where they redubbed their their lines in there. You could tell it was a little off. They redubbed it because the crunching was so loud. But in a real movie, they would just have them walk in the grass or something right beside the road because you don't see their feet anyway. So why not have them move or put down a carpet or something for them to walk on that's going to be silent? I mean, just little things like that that they didn't do, but they easily could have done that would not have cost them a dime. And it's just like, oh, come on. uh, uh, uh." All right. I'm kicking this horse. It's dead. (laughs) Let's go ahead and score them. Overall spectacle. Jared, what are you giving Oblivion? Nine. Nine out of ten. I thought I had great spectacle. I agree with you 100%. I forgot how stunning that movie was. And Oh, wow. It just keeps your eyes glued to the screen the whole time. So I gave it a nine as well. Uh, Let's go to the other end of the rainbow connection here and see what you gave Alan Quartermain. The uh, wonderful location footage helped get it all the way up to a four, but I can't go any higher. Not quite a match game. I wasn't even kind enough to give it a four. I landed on a three. I will say this as we were digging for positive things. There were a couple of... Parts of the musical score of Quartermain I thought was pretty decent. They might have picked it up from somewhere else, but <laughs> I don't know. 
I was like, I was like, that music's not bad. Maybe Joe November did it. <laughs> we, should, we should ask him. <laughs> yeah. What about we never talked about the face ripping thing, the hand claw thing? Oh, yeah, don't, the, get, the, don't get me started. Yeah, that scene is a terrible uh, bastardization of a plot point in the movie. I remember it from the Quatermain. I mean, from the book, rather, from the book. But um, there is no skull claw that rips people's heads off in the book. Well, that book sucks. Now, I do wonder. <laughs> now, again, y'all try to you tried to find that hidden thing of does Tom Cruise's memory is it faulty because he's a clone? Is that what they were really getting at? So I was trying to give them the benefit of the doubt and say, is the claw head ripper offer thing, is that somehow connected to the Temple of Skulls? Like, that's how they got mm-hmm. the skulls? Seems likely, oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, man, that's a Maybe good point. Maybe because there was one in the end, in the, in the big fight scene, inside the temple. Good point. Good that's point. So, point. And we know how many times that thing had been used before, 32, because we counted the skulls inside there. And it's been used 32 times. So 33 now. 33 now. So, yeah, Alan Quartermain used it and added to the collection. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. I don't want to accidentally give this thing a point. So you guys are – you cannot change your score. So for me, giving you that insight, I, I'm – But you're going to give your bullet point to Quartermain. I am not. Absolutely oh. not. No, 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 no. You know, what's funny – Albert Elvis is the last episode we did with a sniper with Delvin. Mm-hmm. That was last starfighter versus bullet train, the uh-huh. 1970 something Japanese thriller. Oh, and every round Delvin was like, Hmm, where am I going to put this book? <laughs> like, you, you have none of that consternation. No, no, no. I'm a true sniper. I have no emotions. I'm going to carry out my job in this case, just like in the others. I'm going to subtract a point from the Alan Quartermain picture. Fair enough. And All give right. it to Oblivion, which Fair was truly enough. epic and had a, a great scope and, you know, everything we've just talked about. Woo! Well, that was, it took us a while to walk through that one, Jared, but I think we got overall spectacle done, and I will pass it on to you for round five. Tiger uppercut! Round five is best action scene. You better have a good action scene if you're going to be on action film face-off. We'll see how that goes. We say it's my round, but it's really Jason's round. Jason, how many action scenes did you pick out of Oblivion, and what clever names did you give them for this episode? All right. These are kind of hard this time. Okay, Oblivion. So there was a scene when he's flying out there in his little dragonfly ship, and he gets caught in the electrical storm and nearly crashes. I called that one riding the storm out. Then there's the scene where he goes into the library and gets ambushed, and there's that big firefight, and I called that one <laughs> I have to check that one out. <laughs> and then there's the part where he has to go rescue the people that came from space and he has to face off against the drone to save the woman who turns out to be his wife. I called that one. People are falling from the sky and I can only save one. I guess I'll choose this fine woman right here. <laughs> Is that Olga Kurlenka mm-hmm. <laughs> from Quantum of Solace? <laughs> right. Only one <laughs> pack right here, let me tell you. <laughs> oh, God, no. Then there's the scene where when he first meets the humans that he thought were scavs, they get ambushed by the drones. You've got the guy, uh, I called him Jamie Lannister, the actor who played Jamie Lannister in uh, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. So I called that one. Jamie Lannister is badass with that sniper rifle because he was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just like Auburn Elvis with his sniper rifle. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
taking out everyone. <laughs> Multiple casualties. Like Jamie Lannister over there. Then we have the aerial dogfight chase scene. I called that one Highway to the Danger Zone for obvious reasons. That led up to when he finds his clone and they get in that big fight. I called that one Stop Hitting Yourself. <laughs> Good. And then finally, because I didn't think like blowing up Sally was like a big action scene. It was a big emotional scene. But I thought oh, yeah. the scene before that, when they have to fight off all the drones, uh, when the drones find their uh, hidden base, I said, oh, no, they just shot Morgfius. Because I couldn't remember his name. So it was like Morgan Freeman. Mor- Morgfius. Morgfius. Yep. <laughs> so that's it. Seven. Seven. Pretty good action scene. Or you should there. call that one Get Busy Living or Get Busy Dying. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's watch that throwback. I like it. I like it. <laughs> nice. Where were you when I came up with these? So those are what I got. All right. Which one was your favorite, Jason? You know, there's a couple good ones, but I think overall, I liked Highway to the Danger Zone. I really liked that flying dog fighting scene. I thought that was really cool. Okay. This to me is going to be another one of those movies where I could score a lot of scenes the same score, but ultimately I was most impressed with, I guess, the death of Morgfius. (laughs) That was the close second for me. I mean, I almost felt bad because. It was a hot action scene, but like the drones were just like tearing those people up. And I was like, that's cool looking. Uh, but I feel bad for all these people. Oh, <laughs> oh, we got vaporized. But I do so got vaporized, cool. but it looks so cool. <laughs> so that one was mine. Auburn Elvis, what was your favorite action scene in well, Oblivion? I, I did not like the get busy, get living, get busy dying scene because to me, it should have been avoided. When they repaired that drone, drones can fly, those drones fly. But somehow they stuck it on the slowest crawler that they had in the shop to tether it outside. So they leave the bay doors open while they're just spending 20 minutes getting this thing down this hangar thing. It, that did not need that. That was contrived. Okay. Fair that was enough. bad writing, bad Fair directing. Enough. The drone, they would have just hit a button and it would have flown out and gone up into space. And then you wouldn't have had, you know, the ending the way that you had. So it was contrived. I did not like it. Danger Zone was the fight scene of this movie to me. Just the, you know, him showing off of the flying and the shooting backwards while flying forwards, you know, because we didn't know it could do that. You know, the pivoting around like the Millennium Falcon guns was awesome. And then how, you know, one of the drones smashes into him, you know, and knocks him into, well, I guess that happened earlier when he got knocked into the other quadrant or whatever. But still, just the flying scenes to me were the best. That made it like, oh, I totally wish I had one of those. I would love to fly one of those. Oh, that was so cool. Awesome. Awesome, awesome stuff. I, I almost picked the library scene, by the way, too. I like that one a lot, too. But oh, anyway. Okay. I did, I, too. I, I like my ground-based action. Y'all like flying action. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, oh, yeah. Move on to uh, Alan Quarter, Maine. Jason, break <laughs> down the scintillating action scenes. <laughs> okay. So... The opening scene in the bar when she hits the dude in the face with the pitcher, it starts a foot chase outside. Uh, I'll call it an action scene. I just called it Pitcher This. Nice. Pitcher This. Then that leads to him being on the train with her. And then the I called this one the world's slowest, dumbest train truck chase. Fair. And then... That led to the ambush at his house, and I called that one, I know my house is being invaded by an army of goons, but show me those. 
<laughs> he always has one I have to believe. That's, yeah, that's the one. It's the one. Show me that Sharpie. Show me <laughs> that towel. <laughs> Whose towel is that? It's just Gary, I think. I'm <laughs> it's Gary's towel. <laughs> Gary's <laughs> <laughs> all right hold on i gotta get through these then there's number four the locust i called that one who forgot to pack the off <laughs> and finally i skipped over the whole tribe thing because that was just them sitting around in a hut for what seemed like forever i went right to the temple of the skulls or the shopping cart of the skulls and the final fight I called that one. Watch me jump over our effects budget for this final fight. (laughs) (laughs) And which scene did you choose as your favorite? I'm going to go for watch me jump over our effects budget for this final fight. Same. Auburn Elvis. Same. (laughs) Compared to the rest of the movie, that was the most exciting part. The way that uh, Lady Anna did not die, I thought was creative. They could have handled it way better. I could see where they came up with an interesting idea and it just, they executed it poorly. But that and, you know, Alan Quartermain fighting the dude, obviously it needed better choreography, but they did actually fight, which that's kind of what we wanted to happen the whole movie. Wanted both of them to get punched and stuff. And then, you know, the way it resolved with the claw thing, if they truly were trying to make a connection between that and the skulls, then I could see where... When they wrote it down, maybe that was a good idea, but the execution was terrible. But the execution of every other scene was even worse. So <laughs> by default, this one gets the award of best action scene. This turd had a little glitter sprinkled on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they didn't even mention diamonds or gold, which is what is in Solomon's mind. <laughs> I noticed there was a big left out treasure. It's like, why would they even bother going? I never brought that up. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Uh, they wanted their very own head ripper off. Yes, yeah. Right but he left know. it. He did not take it with him. <laughs> oh, he at least took the head ripper off. Exactly. Oh, good. Let's let's score up. Let's go back to Oblivion. Jason, you picked the danger zone and one to ten. I liked it to a tune of an eight. It was really okay. good. Okay. I liked the Morgfia scene and I liked it to the tune of a seven. But again, I could give a seven to just about any. I really liked them all. I take a little shame into liking watching uh, those people get vaporized. <laughs> but the effect was so cool looking. <laughs> it was cool. I feel like Delvin with the Nazi uniforms. You know? I know, right? I, I know it's bad. I know, I know it's bad. bad. <laughs> the uniforms look so good. Those uniforms are tight. <laughs> Alan Quatermain, we we all picked the final fight. What did you score that one, Jason? I had to give it a three. <laughs> Match game. I gave it a three as well. Nice. And that just leaves Albert Elvis' final bullet. I have a funny feeling I know what he's going to do with it. Oh, yeah. I'm going to subtract a point <laughs> from Alan Quartermain. I'm not. I'm, yeah, I'm a ruthless killer here. And, yeah, Clearly. it deserves it. Clearly. So, yeah, give the point over to Oblivion. <laughs> Clearly. Okay, that is done. And that is the end of the official rounds. One thing left to do, Jason. So this is the deduction round. This is the round for the ridiculous. So this is if we want to take points off of either of the films, now is the time. If we didn't address it during our our other five categories, here's our opportunity. Auburn Elvis, I believe you have something you want to say about Oblivion. Normally we don't let snipers take point off the round, but Auburn Elvis has something to say. The floor is yours. First show of hands, who here is married? I've got my hand up. 
No. Okay. So two of us are married. Okay. So this is really just Jared and any of the listeners can also answer this question. All right. So let's assume you are married. Your job is to drive a space bus out in space and your wife is asleep in the back of the space bus. Okay. The next time she wakes up, you're standing over her, you're dirty, you're cut up, and you're asking her all these questions about what was your mission, what brought you back. And then your wife looks around and she sees that you, her husband, have been living in a glass tree house with the redhead who was supposed to be helping you drive the space bus. Mm -hmm. But the two of y'all have been doing naughty things in a see-through pool Mm -hmm. and all this. Now, don't you think your wife would mention that she is your wife? (laughs) It might have came up. And don't you think your wife would have some questions why you're living in that glass tree house with the lady that you were supposed to be driving the space bus with? Probably would be a topic. Probably came up, yeah. Yeah, it would come up. (laughs) But not in this film. She just gets all quiet, and she's all like, oh, it's classified. I'm sorry, it's classified. My wife would not handle that (laughs) that way at all. That was the single biggest plot hole in this whole picture, was the fact that his wife woke up and did not mention, hey, you're my husband. Plot hole. Yeah. Yes. Huge plot hole. There's no woman on this planet. <laughs> I mean, from our, our little survey, 100% of all wives <laughs> would not act like that. Fair enough. Would not be cool about that. Nope. Nope. Uh, nope, nope. It, it, my response to that is I, I have no deductions for Oblivion, by the way. I'm not taking any away from Oblivion either. But now let's talk about uh, Alan Quartermain. Are you going to take anything away from Alan Quartermain? You know, much to Auburn Elvis's dismay, I'm not. I took it all out on the scoring. I subtracted everything out from the regular scoring. I already said it. It committed the worst sin you can on action film face-off, and it bored me. But I took that out on the scoring. So I'm not going to beat the dead horse anymore. I'm done with it. I've got one more kick in me for that horse. (laughs) I understand. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) Uh, Because I I realized I didn't bring this up or factor it in during the scoring. But it really bothered me that King Solomon's mine there was apparently like a half day's walk from his backyard. <laughs> you know, it's like they, they just you overpaid like, for that map, bro. <laughs> it's just right there. You know, just walk over there. It's where the mine is. So I'm going to take one off for just ridiculous. Yeah, you are totally there. correct. In fact, I made a note in my notes where they have literally walked for one day and Anna says, I can't imagine Neville making it this far. <laughs> and it's like, what kind of a wuss is Neville if he can't even go a day's walk? I mean, her socks were still pearly white when she twisted her ankle. <laughs> twisted and her ankle, seat. yeah. yeah. Like, okay. Well, there we go. Wrapping up, heading it back to you. That's the end of all of our official rounds. Now, don't worry if you haven't been keeping up with the math at home, folks. We do that for you here at Action Film Face Off. And before we reveal that, I just want to say if your match game guess was six, then you're a big winner because Jason and I had six match games. And as we've started doing, all the points from our sniper went to Oblivion. In the last episode, I had to explain some points went to this movie, some points went to that movie, but we didn't have that problem on this one. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that. All the points were taken away from... Yes. <laughs> Blast But anyways, looking at the judges' scorecards, the winner of this episode of Action Film Face-Off, with a score of 76 to 40, is 
Oblivion. in under the wire well congratulations to oblivion now let's head over to the randomizer and find out what the years are going to be for our next episode my brother jared will be pulling a film from choose your destiny two thousand seventeen and i will bring a film from choose your destiny 1985. What will those films be? Well, we'll tease them on social media for those of you who want to watch before listening. And we're talking to you, Dave, or you can tune in next episode to find out. Until then, I'm Jason Weaselskull Albrick, and you can find me on social media at Weaselskull on Twitter or Jason Albrick on Facebook and Instagram. And you can find me, Jared Albrick, the Yard Sale Artist, a.k.a. Death Probe, at Yard Sale Artist, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. It's all at Yard Sale Artist. Auburn Elvis, where can people find you? Pretty much on Twitter, at Auburn Elvis. Excellent, excellent. Be sure to check out all the shows under the Longbox Crusade umbrella by subscribing to Longbox Crusade on iTunes, Google Play, pretty much all your finer podcatchers, and some of the shabby ones. Or you can go directly to www.longboxcrusade.com. If you'd like to send us a question, comment, you can do that by hitting us up on social media at Longbox Crusade on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We also have a Twitter page just for Action Film Face Off, which is at AFFO Podcast. So hit us up if you want to throw in your two cents on the movies we've talked about on this episode or any other episodes. And if you want to interact with us with live chat, be entered to win some free stuff on our live raffles, join us for our next episode of Doing It Live Stream. It starts at 3.30 p.m. Central Time on the second Sunday of every month. Unless there's a holiday, we'll bump it. But 3.30 p.m. Central Time, second Sunday. You can get signed up for that by going to Longbox Crusade on YouTube. Please subscribe to our channel and click the bell so you get those reminder notifications for when we go live. Thank you for tuning in. We appreciate you listening. And until next episode, keep your head down and your knuckles up. The intro and outro theme to this show and all of our action film face-off shows are done by musical genius Joe November. Check out his SoundCloud at J-O-S-E-F-L-I-N-9-9. You will not regret it.